Welcome to the X Overland Podcast. At X Overland, we're committed to living a life of adventure and to sharing what we learn in the hopes of inspiring and empowering others to boldly explore the world. Join the conversation as we sit down to share stories of overland travel and vehicle-based adventure with a broad range of compelling guests from around the globe. All right, welcome to the X Overland podcast. My name is Clay. Today I have my friend Chris from Iceland on the podcast. Chris, good good morning to me, but good afternoon to you. Yeah, yeah. thank you. I'm I'm honored, man. It's uh it's cool. We had a chance to connect over in the um Arizona Utah desert. It was a rad trip and felt like there was a lot of, you know, similarities and shared passion for remote places and uh yeah, man. I mean, you're, you know, it's funny because I get a lot of people telling me that like I'm living their dream, but uh, you're living my dream. I love what you're doing. I love how you're taking, you know, modified vehicles and really put them to the test and the most kind of the ends of the earth. That's the, that's the coolest, man. No. Stoked. So it's great to connect. Well, thank you. Vice versa. Yeah. The last time I saw you, you were running on the trail while I was driving to go get on a twin otter and fly out of that the ranch in Las Vegas there or on the Grand Canyon to Las Vegas because you were training for that big race that big uh, motorcycle uh, not motorcycle but uh, bike race yeah. and I followed you on that can you tell people what you did there yeah um, absolutely so um, it was a, you know it was a bit of a wild summer I had the the goal of of racing the Tour Divide which is an iconic trail that basically goes from uh, Canada, Banff to Mexico, the border and across the United States. And it, it, it follows the, the continental divide trail. So it goes over basically all of the U S is kind of steepest mountain ranges. And, um, and you traverse like five States, like two provinces. It's, it's pretty wild, 2,700 miles. And then, um, when I, when I finished that, I flew directly to Iceland and met my family who were already here. And uh, I did two ultra marathons that I had been training for and something I had wanted to do for a while. And it was a big summer. You know, I'm still kind of like mentally coming back from all that and giving myself a little grace to like, you know, gain a few pounds and just kind of, um, you know, eat some more bread and all those, yeah. all those things. Because it's painful, man. I mean, you know how it is. I remember eating that dinner you know, out in the desert. We had killer catering and I was like, oh, I want to eat all these sweets. I want to stuff my face and you're like oh, i'm gonna pay for that though in a couple months or whatever so yeah yeah i mean it's tricky you know how it goes i had your portions for you that day so don't worry so <clears throat> yeah i remember we we tried to get this podcast put together before uh you went on that when well, no, you were just coming off of that and i was just leaving for africa so yeah <clears throat> i've i'm just 10 days off of africa now and uh just got over the jet lag and all that stuff and i'm up and running here as well. So we've just been on big summers of adventure, but uh, I would love it if people could hear a bit of your backstory into photography and adventure. How, and I want to know, because I, I don't know, when, when did, did photography come first or did adventure come first? That's an excellent question. You know, honestly, um, I, I, I'll try to summarize it so it doesn't to consume the entire podcast, but ultimately you know, for me, the camera, um, you know, was really just a passport to travel. I grew up in a really small town in California, um, a tiny little area with, you know, I don't know, maybe 50,000 people. And 
I guess growing up, I didn't see much of a life outside of this tiny town. And when I started to explore what was out there, um, I, I became really passionate about trying to figure out a way to get out of that town and, and just see the world. And when I realized that photography might be that goal, you know, because I was obviously enchanted by photos I'd seen on outside, Nat Geo, everything like that. I was like, this is it. This is the ticket. And I, um, I was using a camera at the time just to document my friends and I's escapades going up the coast and surfing and kind of being in these remote areas. And, um, it was, it was purely fun. That was it. It was just purely exploration, you know, kind of a childish exploration, I guess you could say. Yep. And, um, and when, when it kind of dawned on me that this could be a tool for something bigger, I, I poured everything I had into it. I quit my job. I quit school. Um, I, I was like, you know what? I have to, you know, I have to see this through. I have to see if I could make something of this. And that was exactly what happened. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like it wasn't, you know, traveling to remote places and, and making films and going to cool locations. It was like shooting senior portraits and, uh, and shooting a wedding here and there and trying to like take pictures of, you know, a, a local surf shop or something. I even remember in the beginning, just grinding, you know, so hard to, to make this into something that I would go out to the Pismo Pier and just shoot photos of random surfers and then run up to them on the beach and be like, Hey, like sweaty. I'm like, yeah, hey, I have photos of you. Like I could put them on a CD for 20 bucks, just like anything to make ends meet. And I, I lived in my, you know, little Toyota Tacoma for maybe uh, like a year or two, like just in the back kind of, you know, trying to, you know, living below poverty level, basically. Yeah. Uh, just trying wow. to make ends meet. And, uh, and, and it was, it was awesome. I mean, I really value that time in life and what it taught me and what it gave me and what it granted me. Cause I, I feel like I, I, you know, nowadays, um, I've been humbled to find some success in this career, but it's, you kind of, uh, you never want to forget your origin story. And so, so the adventure followed to answer your question, the adventure followed, but it wasn't the, it wasn't the goal in the beginning. The goal in the beginning was just to see the world and know it outside of the six o'clock news and the dinner table conversations and mm -hmm. kind of, you know, the, the stuff that, that I felt like that was going to be the rest of my life. Uh, so I came from the adventure side a little bit and then, uh, then I found a camera. I got my dad's real estate camera. He oh, just, sick. yeah. He was like, he used to take pictures for real estate ranches. This is all film cameras. Like, I don't know, like a no. Canon something back in the day. And so I took pictures with that. And my senior year, we went to Alaska and I carried that camera and I was like, okay, I'm on an adventure taking pictures and it light bulbs, you know, like this is it. This is it for me. And did you, you said you quit school? Yeah. I mean, Tell me about that. Yeah. College? Junior. Yeah. Junior college at the time. I, 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 and I actually did really well. You know, I was a really, um, intelligent student, I guess you could say, but, um, and I, and I had some, uh, financial aid money because I was, um, the only person in my family to, to go to college and my, you know, ethnic background gave me some opportunities. So, but sadly, uh, you know, I used all that financial aid money to just buy cameras and buy gear. And I, I took the minimal amount of college courses to, uh, to kind of keep that financial aid coming. And then I quit. And, uh, yeah. and I don't think that's something I recommend to people nowadays, but I, I just, you know, I, I was looking for a leg up any way I could. And, and that's what I did. And, um, nah. at, yeah. the time, at the time I just, I, you know, there's like that analogy, you know, and I'm sure you can relate where like, it's like you're at a train station and the train is leaving 
and your bags aren't packed, you're not ready, but you know the opportunity is going to leave. It's going to pass you by. And if you don't go for it, it will never just, you'll, you're never going to be ready. You're never going to be fully, you know, everything, you know, your, your T's crossed and your I's dotted and everything dialed and your bags packed. You're, you're going to be in a state of chaos. And I, I feel like that um, was my story. I just realized like, you know, if I'm going to make it happen, it's going to be now or I'm going to always find an excuse to not do this. Oh man, that is so good for anyone who's thinking about pursuing their dreams to do because to, to think about and to hear, because that's, I think that everyone I've talked to, that's, there's a crux moment like that, that you just take the plunge. And it, it was for me. So I was in college here in Bozeman going to film school and, uh, I opposite of you, I was terrible at school, uh, but I loved what I was doing. And uh, I went in and talked to my film professor one day and I was just like, hey, I'm struggling. I do want to do this, but uh, I don't know if this is for me. And he says, you should quit. My professor told me to quit. Wow. And, and wow. I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, film, film and photography is a trade. You can learn this on your own if you're passionate about it. You do not have to have a film degree. If you want to do this, you should go do it. That's so no I know I, I, and I, I can't, I wish I knew his name cause I need to go shake his hand. If he's still alive, you know, say thank you. Cause that was the nudge that I needed to get out and take the plunge. And, uh, then I, 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 I remember walking out of that, uh, that meeting with him feeling like a thousand pounds had been lifted off to me, but then I had to call my parents and be like, Hey, I'm going to quit school. And can I. Can I pursue this instead? Can I use some of my college money to go after cameras? And they were like, I think, I think they heard it in my voice that that was it. Like I had found it and they said, yeah, go for it. And that's, that's, that's honestly pretty awesome. Cause I think that was the biggest and heaviest thing for me was trying to tell my parents that I was going to take this opportunity I'd been given and, and forego it, you know, and it was painful for many years. And I actually feel like, um, that was really cool of your parents to like, see that and allow it, give you that permission. Cause I kind of felt like I had to earn mine for years. And I, I feel like it actually created a real drive in me to kind of be competitive in this space and be the best I could. Cause I had to prove myself, right. Which is, which, which is great, but, but I don't know if it, it resulted in the best long-term like mental state, you know, but uh, sure. it's a, it's a, challenging one there's always this other side to it pursuing it for so long what what outside of that desire to i guess live up to your parents expectations so to speak and make sure that you made the right call what what else drives you and has continued to drive you now well i mean again it started with this passion of traveling and i think that as i as i started to uh, go out on my own very very early um I mean, it's funny because I didn't have a passport, didn't travel till I was like 22. But when I started, it was for work from the beginning. I was I was on assignment, had a camera, was going places. It wasn't, it was never, I never traveled for fun. Um, and I just didn't have that opportunity. And I think that really quickly, I recognized that my, my mom had made real sacrifices to kind of have me and to raise me as a single parent. And so in the beginning, I think a big part of it was like coming back and showing her something that I felt like she'd be proud of. Right. And that was huge for me. And it still, it still is, you know, but it's, it's evolved. Um, 
And over time, my my why it has changed. You know, it was it didn't start as I said, as trying to advocate for wild places, as trying to you know have you know some environmental initiative or preserve places. It was just purely because I wanted to know what was out there. And nowadays, I do think it's more closely aligned with wanting to like lift up voices that you know maybe stories that haven't been told, people that haven't been you know. Um, their stories haven't been told and, and or just trying to advocate for places that I love and care about wilderness, um, landscapes. I think that in, at the end of the day, storytelling is really at the root of like what I try to do. And I think it's crucial for me to be vulnerable, to be involved in those stories, to have them be authentic, something that I care about, that I'm not just going out for commercial purpose to go shoot, you know, some whatever, I have to actually care about it. And I think it comes through and um, in, you know, films and, and books and whatnot. So uh, that is kind of at the core of, of what I, why I do what I do and my why nowadays. And I think that it's, it's evolving now. Like the third stage is like, I have kids, I have two boys. I want them to realize that like what I value is not, you know, you know, keeping up with the, the neighbors, but, you know, having the biggest house and the most killer car. I want them to realize that like, I care about experiences having adventures and even like moving to Iceland has been a wild family uh, adventure, something that I almost feel like I owe the people that follow me um, or, or engage with me because I always preach like the importance of getting outside your comfort zone and pursuing mm -hmm. growth. And if I'm just like sitting in California, knowing that life is comfortable and everything's good and I'm not really progressing or growing, I, 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 that that is challenging for me like mentally so yeah i don't know it's a long-winded answer i'm sorry <laughs> no it's great so what i'm hearing is the authenticity piece that runs deep in in you and uh that is i can resonate with that because i i no one wants to be a poser no one wants no. to be you know especially i don't know it, I've I've fought that for years as well, just to try to stay ahead of that. And it's so easy once you find a little bit of success and you do some stuff. You can, if, you know, maybe I can sit back and maybe just do my thing. And then, but there's this thing in the back of my mind that's saying, "Uh, uh, you better not." You know, there's you always can't someone, do that. Yeah, there's always somebody hungry, or there's always somebody willing to sacrifice. I think about myself. I'm like, I'm like, what I'm what I'm trying to, you know, fight against is is not like the photographer that's, you know, trying to bid for the same job. It's, it's that future me that I know is so eager and so hungry. And if they're given the opportunity, they will go the furthest extent they could to, to get the job done. And, um, I just, I feel like it's critical to find that passion, you know, uh, yeah. as, as you know, you, you get this, like there's this time in your career and your life where you're like, I'll, you know, I'll do anything and I'll do it better and harder and more, you know, and I'll, 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 beat myself bloody to, to make it work. And now I'm trying to be smarter, more intelligent, you know, more, um, more, uh, you know, like casual in my approach and not just, you know, have such a tight grip on things. But, but again, like, you know, there is a competitive nature to this space, you know, to kind of, uh, capturing the story before somebody else does going to that spot before somebody else does, or showing that location before somebody else does. And, and that still is a driver for sure. Yeah. I think that drive, it seems that that's what introduced you to Iceland. Totally. Getting there first. Because yeah. I think you were 
I can't think of many other photographers that I, off the top of my head, that have introduced me to Iceland more than you have. And and a big inspiration for what we went and did. You know? So when did you go to Iceland first? What, how did uh, well, you introduce to this place? Yeah, it was, well, you know, I mean, I had seen photos of it. I, I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't, you know, here. I wish I could have been like, yeah, I was here in the early 90s, you know? Yeah, But sure. um, I was... I came in 2006 or seven, something like that. Um, and at the time it was just this place that I knew, you know, was beautiful and had amazing landscapes. And I had heard about the waterfalls and, you know, yada, 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 but nothing fully prepared me for what was here. And in fact, at the time I was uh, shooting surfing like professionally and that was my job. I was a staff photographer for surfer magazine. Um, and it was, it filled me up, like gave me a lot of joy. Like it was the, it was the dream job. It was what I always wanted to do. And then when I came here, I realized something very quickly that, um, this place, it asked more of you or asked more of me for shooting the photographs, for creating stories and images. Like it was, it was, um, a higher barrier of entry, more responsibility, and, and at times more risk. And I, I realized quickly that those images after the trip, you know, this, this is all kind of reflections afterwards. Sure. Those photographs, they were like super meaningful. Each one kind of left its own little mini scar or what, what have you. And in the memory bank and it, and it really uh, struck with me and it struck me in, in the fact that I wanted to go back and I kept pursuing places like this after that, you know, Alaska, the Faroes, Norway, Russia, Kuril Islands, Aleutian Islands, et cetera, et cetera. But Iceland was really like that first taste. And um, mm. I realized that what I felt like I had been missing in my career, having gone to a lot of beautiful, you know, warm water destinations and locales was that I was selling this sense of adventure, but I wasn't finding it. You know, there was a strong Wi-Fi signal, you know, great food, you know, you're on a boat somewhere in the middle of the, you know, remote you know, Indonesian islands, but still like you're on this super yacht, you know, cruising around shooting waves. And I, I guess a part of me just felt like it was, it was inauthentic to what I was trying to portray, but here it was real, you know, and here it was raw. You are putting on a thick wetsuit and you're, you're, you know, you're going on these remote beaches and you're, the water's dark and it's cold. And just, I felt like, um, also it came through in the imagery, like the imagery was more powerful and more interesting. So, so that is kind of like my foray. I mean, granted the people amazing, the food was rad at the time. Maybe the food wasn't as good as now, but, sure. uh, and, uh, and I think that Iceland has obviously caters to like, you know, tourists very well. And I, and I felt really, um, welcomed, which was great, but over the years it's become more of a community that I've kind of fallen in love with more of like the people itself. And that's, I think what kept me coming back more so than like the beautiful landscapes, because at a certain point, you know, that that's not going to keep you enthralled. You know, you, you have to at some point have a house, live in a town or a have community. community. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and those are critical things too. That's a part of life. Yeah. It, it, especially for family and for your boys, man, that's powerful, Chris, to, to move somewhere where your boys can take hold of adventure like you did in one of the best places that you have found on earth to go do it. You got some lucky boys. That that is awesome. You've worked for it. You've worked for it. That is amazing. It's kind of hectic because I was just talking to a friend about this today that 
you know, when you, when you ask your kids to move somewhere else, somewhere new, where the, the language is different, the culture is different, it doesn't really dawn on you how much you're asking of them. Like for me, learning the language um, and and the culture is it's it's fun. Like I, I'm an adult. Like you know, most people speak English. It's it's more because I want to and because I have a desire to. But for them, it's survival. Like they have to, or they're not going to make friends. Or they're not going to to like be able to have like real relationships. So they they have to learn. And I I guess a big part of me realizes that like if I was a kid and I was given that opportunity. I would have been stoked. Like it would have been amazing. I never had it. And I just, I, I, my goal as a parent, as like any parent wants is to provide maybe something different, something better for your kids than maybe you had and, and just expose them to new opportunities. And it doesn't mean this has to be their dream, you know? Um, but I hope they learn something from it. I, I went through the same experience. I brought my three boys to Africa this year for the whole expedition. And at wow. first we were like, man, should we, you know, should we just take them there half, just for half of the trip or the whole trip? You know, should, is it too dangerous? Should we take them at all? And, and I was like, no, they're, so they're 18, 15 and 13. And I was like, no, after I thought and contemplated for a while, they have to go the whole time. I need them there the whole time to get the full experience. And, uh, they may, just like you said, they may not all have the same passion for what I do but I know that they will get something incredibly worthwhile out of this experience. Cause it's not for this case, it's not forever. It's just an expedition, but it will expose them to so much stuff that it'll make them better men, you know? And, uh, they all have come home and just there, I've got three new men in my house, young men because yeah. of that experience, you know, and I, my youngest son, Eli said, yeah, here, what did he say? I was dropping him off at school a couple of days ago. And he says, wow. you know, before Africa, I would have got my bags ready in the morning, but now it's yeah. after Africa and I get my bags ready before school at night. That's I was awesome, like, man. so simple and amazing, you know, like, yeah. so that's like, a, that's like a shift of, of mentality. Like they, they did learn something like very, that, that seems so obvious as an adult, but as a kid, those are hard things to come by, you know? Yeah. Because there's a level of preparedness that I think that a place like that really instills in you, you know, and mm -hmm. that's so cool. I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad you did that. That's a place that I, you know, sadly I haven't been, I've never been to, um, I've never been to Africa ever. And it's a, it's one place I've always wanted to go. I just, I, you know, I've had opportunities, haven't pulled the trigger, but it's, it's on my list. Namibia, especially. So. Oh man. Namibia is fantastic. So, um, got to get you over there. So now, uh, what's under the Arctic sky was probably your, your, what would you say your breakthrough, uh, just yeah. back in the conversation, you, you know, have you ever come to a point where you said you made, I've made it or huh. it was a breakthrough moment, you know? You know, I, I, um, I probably should have done that more, uh, because there have been some, some real wins. Absolutely. In my career. And, and there are wins today. Like there's, there's a win every day, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> today I just got my work visa approved for, for being in Iceland and, and I'm trying to get my residency visa approved. So that, that's a win, right? Win. Um, but I think, I think I've been really bad about, uh, reflecting and kind of sitting in successes 
and just watching them, right? I, 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 I usually kind of all the, I guess, for example, all the best images I've ever shot when I've looked at them on the back of the camera, I've been like, whatever neck, you know, keep shooting. Like I don't, I never even celebrate it, you know? And, and I, this is kind of a, this is kind of a deep, dark secret, but, uh, I honestly, after publishing eight books or more, nine books, I can't even remember. Like, I don't think I've ever read one all the way through once it's been printed. You know, I've obviously been involved from day one going through it a million times, but once it's done, I almost have too much anxiety going through it because I'm such a perfectionist that like, I can't bear to find something that I don't approve of or whatever. So I've just never been great about being like, ah, it's done, move on. You know, like let's celebrate this for a week, a month, a year, whatever. And, and I, I guess, you know, maybe the, maybe the world that we live in doesn't give us that freedom as much. And that kind of, you know, is hard as a, as a creative, you know, you, you know, this very well. People are really stoked on what you're putting out in the moment, but really their next question is, well, what's next? What's, what's next? The next? That's what I always, that's what I always get myself. And it's yeah. crap. And, and yeah. You know, what's funny about that is like, in some ways it almost makes you feel like, well, isn't what I'm doing right now, like enough, isn't this like awesome enough? Cause, cause for me personally, there's, there's that question of like, what's next. And there's a question of like, what are you going to do in 10 years? And I'm like, don't you realize that I've spent 20 years trying to get to this point and, and maybe there's something better, but I don't know what that is. I'm actually genuinely stoked on this. If I was doing this podcast in 10 years, I would be like, this is a success. Like somebody cares about my story enough to have me on and share it with thousands of people. Like that's, that's my measure of success. I don't, I don't, have some other barrier that I need to break through, you know? Um, and I, I guess it's more of a society thing where they look at like, well, where do you go from here? As if I need to go somewhere else, you know, it's, yeah. uh, I don't, I don't think people quite gather or fathom that like, you can just be content. You can get to a certain point and be content and there always needs to be growth, but like there can be growth in a lot of different ways. And the balance of this is so hard. It is yeah. so hard. I, I am very similar. Uh, I I get home from something or ha- I'll be halfway through a trip and we're talking about what the next one is and um, not really soaking up the moment in the success of where we are at the, at the time. It, it can be really hard. And I think it is driven by our audiences and, and people are just excited about what we do. Right. And that's awesome. But then there is this pressure to always, you know, that the famous saying of you're only as good as your last film, you know, you're only as good as your last picture and that you release. And so that there's a healthy part of it where it drives you, but then there's the unhealthy side. If it let, if you let it control you. And I have definitely been on the unhealthy side where I I'm just so driven to do the next thing that I've missed out on many of the successes along the way in our career. And, um, yeah, I would say it's only been in the last couple of years, maybe since COVID, you know, when there was a shift in the whole world that it kind of allowed me to just kind of like think a little different about stuff and slow down. Also, kids, kids made me think that once my boys got to a certain age, it it had me like, okay, no, I got to rethink this because my once my boys hit like teenage years, and I don't know how old your boys are, but, you know, I was like, okay, I have a very limited window with my boys now. Yeah. You know, and they're going to be gone. So I have to rethink this. I can think different later, 
if I want. But right now I have about another five years with my boys in the house before they're off and doing their big adventures, whatever it is, you know? So that's uh mindset's tough understanding, you know, finding the wins and acknowledging the wins. I've struggled with that my whole career. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. Like kids, they, they kind of are the key. They're the ones that sort of make you slow down and stop and be like, whoa, because imagine if you were looking at yourself in a mirror every day, you're like, oh man, like things are changing. Like I'm getting different, but kids, you see it. They're, they're in front of you and you take off for a trip for five or six days, 10 days. And you're like, whoa, what happened? Like it's, it's honestly the greatest reminder that that time is so precious and that time goes fast. And, and I just, yeah, I, I, I feel that same stress. I feel that same struggle. I feel like they've been a good reminder for me to learn how to like, kind of say no to things, which ultimately is, is saying yes to what you want. And that's been a big mantra I've tried to live by over the last couple of years is just, just learning and realizing that like you can say no to work or you, you can, you can say no to certain things to do better things. And, and, um, I, I give full credit to, um, Greg McKeown, this guy who wrote a, a book called Essentialism that I read that really helped change my perspective. Cause I'm a, I'm a full-blown workaholic. Like I would just grind and work every day and that would be life. And I don't need to take a vacation and, and that's not healthy. <laughs> and, uh, and I think it just comes from coming from a really blue collar family. Um, and, and sort of the idea that you would say no to a job is like sacrilegious. So, um, that's just kind of, you know, I tried to work through that emotionally and yeah. Man. tell, tell me more about that. What is essentialism? Like what, what, what have, how have you rewired yourself through this? This is fascinating. I want to know. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's, it's not like, you know, it's not like I'm, um, putting myself into a, uh, into a program. So sure. Like recovering workaholic, but it's more about just rewiring your brain to, to accept the fact that, you know, there was a time or a moment when I would realize that like, you know, if, uh, if I was saying no to a job, I'd be fearful that like, oh, I'm going to be forgotten. Nobody's going to care about me if I don't do that and then do this and overextend myself and then make no time for me. Um, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to become irrelevant and that's kind of how artists feel. You know, you have to like do it all, be it all. And, uh, what's tricky about that is that after hearing this analogy of these four burners, which I, I heard a long time ago, it really struck me in, in the analogy or the sort of the, the story is that there's, there's four burners on a stove, one, two, three, four, and each one represents something different. There's health, there's family, there is, uh, relationships, and then there is career, right? And in order to be successful, in your career, you have to turn down one of those burners in order to be really successful. You have to turn down two. So for me, it was health, you know, and it was relationships like friendships, not, not necessarily my, my wife, but, um, so it was just family and it was, and it was work and, and that's great. But when you don't prioritize, you know, those relationships, you, you pay a toll and I paid a toll because I did that. And early in my career, and I'm just trying to rebuild those now and make time for friends and be somebody who shows up for people. Um, and then learning to show up for yourself. You know, if you're not making time to do what you legitimately enjoy outside of what you enjoy with work and, you know, we can tell ourselves like, yeah, no, I, what I love is what I do. That's great. But you need, you need something else. You need something that, 
you know, is fills you up or gets you excited or gets you inspired um, in order to do your very best version of yourself at work. So yeah, I guess, I guess trying to implement and integrate that has been like a big part of life and, um, and trying to figure it all out. And I don't have it figured out. I'm not going to claim I do. I'm just, yeah. kind of in, it's all in process a, a bit right now. So, so where you are now, if you were to look back, would you have changed anything? I've kind of come to the conclusion that like looking back with the desire to like fix things or change things like that's, that's that we don't have the power to do that. I mean, yeah. I do feel like it's critical to, um, to look back and, and be introspective and maybe mm -hmm. understand why we did what we did and why, you know, this behavior pattern served us in a certain way. And I, and I've done that a lot. And I, and I, the reason why is because, um, I've never been great at learning from others' mistakes. I've always been the type of person who had to like learn from my own mistakes, to learn from, you know, the things that I <laughs> had to figure out the hard way. And I think that's just like how I've done it. Um, but I, I think that there's a big difference between kind of dwelling on something that maybe you could have done different or better or whatever it is. The hope is that you either give yourself the opportunity to do it again in a better way or give yourself the opportunity to learn something from that experience and apply it in a different way. Or, and, and I, I think that's moving forward. That's kind of the path that I've tried to implement and apply. And, um, I don't know, you know, it's a, it's a tricky thing, like trying to, to, to not dwell, not like not have regrets. And I've got regrets. I just, I, I, I've, kind of verbally confirmed to myself, like, I'm not going to say that I would change this and I'd change that and I'd do this. Um, because all I can really do is say, well, well, I'm going to prioritize this from this point on. That's so good. That's so good. Cause a lot of us do get trapped there, you know, in yeah. the past and we can't change any of it. It is what it is. So I think that's rad that you can recognize it, see what you've done to this point, you are here in this life at this moment now because of X, Y, and Z. Okay. Now I'm going to take my learnings and my struggles and my mistakes, and I'm going to apply it to where I want to go. That's, that, that's the only way forward into life to become the best person we can be, you know? And, and that's ultimately where I think impact comes from. That's where, you know, yeah. give, give your wisdom to the next guy or gal or next inspiring artist and and say, this is what I've learned. Go for it. You know, take it or leave it. But this is what I know because of what I've been through, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. What would you say? Uh, I know that there, we get hundreds of people calling in or, or emailing in about how can I get started in a life of adventure travel and photography and all that. What, what would you say? to yourself back when and what would you say to the new the new person in this day and age now because we're in a different time to get started and, and pursue their dreams there are so many things to kind of uh pieces of advice to offer um and I, and I actually take giving advice like really seriously it's something that i've i've really uh tried to think about a lot because as a when i was a kid um, or when I was, you know, 18, 19, and I was thinking about pursuing this as a career and I emailed every person, you know, I possibly could find online people that I looked up to photographers and nobody gave me the time of day. <laughs> I, uh, 
I realized I was like, you know what? I want to be somebody when I get older who like cares about sharing information, cares about mentoring people, cares about, you know, kind of pulling the veil back behind what it's like to do this as a career. And so I've, I've done that a lot and I've, I've done workshops and made online courses and whatnot. But uh, it's, um, I feel like the, the the biggest kind of piece of advice that I have is, is that um, nowadays uh, we kind of have the ability to seek validation in some very um, unusual places and some very um, inauthentic places, I guess you could say, you know, social media being one of them. Um, when I was younger and I was, I was pursuing this career, I really sought out critiques and, and advice and, um, and harsh critiques from people that I respected. And, and at, at a certain point when I started to work and I started to make a name for myself, I, I, I got those critiques and they made all the difference. They really did. It, it changed the way I saw everything. And I, I guess what I'm saying is that every day, one of us, or you know, each of us have and has the opportunity to, to be that person that gives validation to somebody else. Every day you have the ability to like offer somebody a like pat on the back or like a, this is incredible or you're doing a really good job or, a, or maybe even if they're open to it, like a, a helpful critique. And I, I feel like that is a, and I, and I, it's funny because I, I say that even to like the younger audience, the people that are just starting, because, because it's important to know where you're getting that feedback from. It's important to trust them, to, to respect that and, and to seek it out. You know, this feedback loop we get online where everybody pats us on the back and we all pat each other on the back. It doesn't mean anything. It's an echo chamber. So you're going to have to subject yourself to um, some different audiences. You know, you're going to have to subject yourself to places outside of this, this cycle in order to realize what you could do better, what you need to change. And that's a process. Like, I'm not going to say that it's not easy. I, you know, it definitely is not, uh, but that's critical. And also add to that, the fact that, you know, finding real stories to tell, finding honest and um, interesting stories to tell, it takes time. It's not something that you just, you know, you just, you know, one day it just comes out of thin air. You have to invest time in that. And most of my portfolios that I've worked on, like whether it's an aerial photography portfolio, whether it's automotive, right? Before I was shooting, you know, stuff for Nissan and Toyota and, and what have you, um, I was going out and shooting those things on my own. I wanted to create a portfolio that I felt I could show somebody when the opportunity came because nobody's just going to be like, you know what? We should hire this person who's never done this before. Right. Um, no idea if they're going to be good at it, but let's just, maybe, maybe it'll work out. No, like they, you, you have to, you have to on speculation, do the types of jobs that you hope to be hired for. And in creating that portfolio and investing your time and your money, it is going to pay off for you. That's, that's just, that's the only way I know how to do it. And people, you know, you get this a lot. People want like the quick answer. Like what's the fix? What's like the, well, when did you know you made it so that I can fast forward to that moment? And I'm like, I know I made it what never like i'm still a freelance photographer like there isn't some paycheck coming tomorrow that just comes every month because you have a certain amount of instagram followers realistically um i still have to pursue uh my you know building my name building my brand building my my portfolio of work luckily i have a lot of work to fall back on but in the beginning it was even more critical and i just think that that is something that that hard work 
it, I just don't want people to lose sight of what that means, that hard work. Spot on, in my opinion. Uh, uh, huh. We get asked that too. How do I start an overlanding? How do I start a YouTube channel and, and become ex-overland in my own way, you know? And I was like, you will all, for one, you can't. We were on our own journey. We've started in our own things and had our own opportunities. Yours will be different. And the first, the first step to making it is realizing that you got to grind, that you just got to put in the hard work. And once you've like fully accept that you've got to do that, that's step one into making it. Because uh, man, how many friends do you have? I know I have several friends that are, are have always, you know, I look back after 40, I'm 42 now, 41. And uh, I've got friends that have always been trying to make the quick hit and they haven't gone anywhere, you know? But I've also got friends that have put in the work from 20 years old and now they're very successful, you know? Yeah. They're just willing to put in the work. So you just, that's it. That's step one, put in the work. And then I, I love, find the stories that matter to you, importantly. I remember talking to Scott Brady, publisher of Overland Journal years ago. He said, make sure you keep it fun. And, uh, and then make sure it matters to you. So yeah, when people bad. ask me, yeah, when, when, when people ask, where are you going next? Uh, and I, like right now, I don't know because I haven't found what matters to me next. Last year, when we were in the Nordic series, I wanted to be in Scandinavia and then the Faroe Islands and then Iceland. This year, I wanted to be in Southern Africa. Cool. You know? Yeah. Awesome. And then now I'm like, people have already asked me, where are you going next? And I don't know because I haven't found what's right for me yet, you know? Isn't that isn't that funny and, and kind of frustrating that people expect you to like have this just, you know, 10-year plan laid out. You're like, I'm going here, then I'm going here. It's kind of a similar thing with, with um, photographs and like sharing uh, a caption or a comment about it or an experience, there are times where, you know, I'll go shoot a job and then I don't want to look at the images for two weeks to two months. In fact, the the feeling, the experience hasn't even fully like set in. It hasn't even fully had time to mature in like 24 hours after the experience. In fact, I I almost never share something that like just happened or I would never publish a magazine, you know, the next day. I, I think that there are there is um, a need for time for things to really start to take root and and learn to resonate with, you know, your emotional patterns and and figure out what is what is this story? Like sometimes you just have a desire to go, you you hear you heed that call. Um, you want to tell this story, but things happen, crazy stuff happens. You don't know, you know, the the story takes a twist and a turn and and in fact I think that learning to not be so rigid has really paid off for me because I've done trips for brands where we went somewhere and it was a place I was really passionate about going. But, you know, we went to, you know, Patagonia, Argentina and, and El Chaltan. We never saw the mountains. It never cleared up 10 days of bad weather. And, you know, this was like about to be a fiasco. And instead of instead of just, you know, accepting that, we we decided to totally pivot the story you know, and, and make it something else. And it was still something I was passionate about, but, and it still got the brand's message across, but, but it wasn't what we originally intended. And so I, I think that that level of flexibility and that level of just maturity and, and being able to um, know when you need time or space and also just 
maybe not accepting those jobs where like, or the, or those assignments where like the turnaround is like this quick when people want you to kind of exude some amount of, uh, of like vulnerability, but you're not ready to yet. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of blabbering here, but I, but I think no. that there's something to that, you know, really. So, uh, Chris, I think that's really refreshing for me to hear. Cause I, I deal with that. Yeah. Like right now coming off the, the Africa trip, 10 days. And then yeah. the guys are asking me like, Hey, when do you want to sit down and start working through this footage? I'm like, poof, I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready. Like I really need to just hang tight for a little while because it's still soaking in what I'm getting from this, you know? And, uh, it does, it takes time it, it, because it's, it's, this is not a robotic thing. This is art. This is creative. And so you have to let it sit. You have to go sit on the hill. You have to go sit on the beach for a while and soak it up. And then all of a sudden, or go do something completely random. And then all of a sudden you'll have this great idea of what that trip meant to you, you know, and that just takes time. So, um, all right, well, what's, what's next for you? That's always, here we are. Do you even want to answer that? You well, don't I, have I, to. All we <laughs> it's funny because I think, uh, you know, what's, what's interesting about it is that there's always something next. There's always like some yeah. job or thing like tomorrow I'm, I'm going into the highlands of Iceland to a really special spot called Kjerlingafjöll to do like a bike ride and do a photo shoot out there. Um, awesome. and, and, you know, I'll be bringing my fly rod just in case, you know, you never know. And, um, <laughs> Wow. Speaking of, speaking of, I have my, uh, like my little nippers in my pocket here. Don't oh yeah. Right. Oh, and, uh, so I got that. And then, um, you know, it's, it's, it, I, I feel like I'd, I rather, I'd rather give people kind of just the honest thing instead of like, oh yeah, we got this sick thing and this sick thing. Uh, <laughs> and right after that, I got a meeting with a book publisher who was coming over from Germany. And then after that, I'll be going to, uh, I'll be doing a, fly fishing shoot in Iceland at the end of the month and then uh going to Portugal to speak and then that's October and then and then October 7th or 8th I I'm flying uh back to California to do a shoot for Nat Geo for a couple of days very cool going to National Park Kings Canyon and Death Valley which are awesome places and I'm actually taking my overland rig and um kind of driving through there and spending a bunch of time in death Valley, going out to some of the more remote places, which will be sick. So, yeah. Awesome. I'm sure the, my audience would love to know what is your overland rig? Yeah, it's a, it's a 2020 Tundra. Um, had it for, you know, obviously a couple of years and things a beast, you know, um, as yeah. everybody knows they, they're, they're, they're hogs on gas, but there's honestly nothing I've found that's more comfortable for hauling around you know, four people with leg room and I just put a GFC on it. Uh, it's got a lift, it's got lights, it's got a grill. Um, I used to have a, um, I used to run a, uh, oh, scout camper in the back. And so I had, yeah. I had it backed airbags and all that. And the scout camper was awesome. I mean, you can, I, I was pleasantly surprised with how many people you could fit in those things and how they worked out for actually production. Really great setup, pretty lightweight, but you know, I'm more of a fan of the custom configuration inside. I'm not so much a fan of like the, you know, the tables here and the, this is here. And I'm like, I don't need some of that stuff. And some of it, I maybe was excessive. So I, I wanted something a little more customizable. Um, so going with the GFC, um, mm -hmm. is just a, a 
more minimal setup. I can still throw on some like bikes and some skis and things like that and everything. I mean, for me, the biggest thing is just having something that I know I can easily get up into the snow, into the mountains, go skiing, um, have no issues there. And, and so much of what it comes down to for me is like, you know, obviously a big gas capacity, you know, you need to be able to drive a distance. You don't want to be hauling, you know, tons of fuel with you. You know, you need a tank proper one. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and, and then just being able to, you know, take your kids on a drive and feel safe. That's, it's critical too. It's always fun to have like a crawler, and, but you know, you, those aren't, those aren't fun for anything other than like that weekend with your buddies. So there's this like fine line and I've, you know, I've dabbled in the overland space for a better part of 20 years, you know, own multiple vans. I've built out, had a number of four by fours. And, um, and, uh, I think that this for me is kind of like, it's like the, this is the one, you know, I, I'm also a little bit, you know, call me a, a purist, but I'm a little bit more of a fan of the older Toyota body style. Okay. Um, last generation, the new generation is a little too transformery for me. So, um, so that's what it is. But that being said, um, the cool thing is that now that I'm in Iceland, you know, you have access to totally different vehicles, you know, oh, yeah. the land cruiser here, that's, it's really just a Prado. Yep. It's a very capable rig. And I'm, I'm dreaming of getting that next gen land cruiser European version when it comes here. Yeah. 2.8 turbo diesel. That'll be, that's like my, my dream rig. And, um, you know, the, the, the more boxy body style, like that's going to be cool. And I don't know, I'm a oh, full car nerd. You know, to be, to be totally honest, before I was a photographer, I was a mechanic and I actually oh, got, really? a I got a scholarship to go to WyoTech because I was, uh, I won a handful of, um, automotive, um, in high school. That's what I did. I did, I did, you know, automotive class and auto shop and whatnot, and we would compete. And, uh, my first car was a 57 Chevy Bel Air, uh, four door that like wow. was chunk. And then I had a 32 Ford Roadster. I had a 51 Ford pickup. I bought and sold cars for the better part of like five years. And that was, kind of, that was like my life before I was a photographer. And at a certain point I was like, you know what? I'm going to be happy if I'm never underneath a vehicle again. And, uh, and it kind of culminated in me working at a Mercedes Goldwing shop where we restored Mercedes Goldwings for Pebble beach. And then, and that was kind of like the highest end, you know, it was a little far from like the hot rods that I liked, but, um, but then I bought a Toyota and I was like, say la vie. I'm good. No, no, no more of that. Your shoes. Like, I don't, I just never want to open the hood. And now it's kind of like, I look for that. I look for just reliability and more yeah. than anything else. So they, they have always, it sounds like they've always been the tool for you. And that that's how they have been for me. Like the Overland vehicle is the vessel to do the things I want to do. You know, we can get caught up in gear. You can get caught up in your camera gear and your film gear and your truck gear and whatever, but it's really just a means to an end. Uh, which sounds like that's what it is for you as well. Um, yeah, right on. Well, you, you articulate it in such a perfect way because it's like camera gear. You know, people get caught up in the gear in the this and the that. Like if using an APS-C camera or using a GoPro or using a, you know, a little tiny point and shoot Sony, if that's the setup that works for you, if that's the one that makes you feel like you're connected to the experience because you're not lugging around this big kit um, for the look of it, uh, I think that's the one you need to use. You need to, you need to use what you feel comfortable using. You need to use what you trust. Mm. And just because somebody else has 
gotten comfortable using this bigger setup or what or more expensive setup or whatever doesn't doesn't mean that's right. In fact, the older I get, the more I realize that in order to tell really meaningful stories, sometimes this is the very best tool that I have because it's yeah. so nobody's afraid of this. Nobody's a, nobody gets fearful when you're busting out this, you know, a tiny little phone, but when you pull out your big camera, it's a different thing and I I think it this is a very similar thing to to vehicles, you know, like if you trust it, if you know it, if you know it inside and out, um, that's that's the one that's going to work for you. You know, I was on a years ago. I was on a film shoot. One of those little moments where you felt like you made it. Uh, I was on a film shoot with Ex Officio, and they were documenting Ex Overland. And uh, there's a photographer with us. His name's Andrew. He's out of uh, Montana here. Pretty well known photographer. And I said, you know, hey, I'm just getting started. What, what, what should I do? You know, as a budding photographer and filmmaker what what should i be thinking about and he said you know what don't get caught up in the tech don't get caught up in having the latest camera and stuff and that has helped me in all kinds of things and it's true for cameras and trucks don't always get caught up in the latest thing it doesn't make you that much better think of it from a higher level the new camera is not going to make you that much better a photographer the story is going to make you a better photographer the art is going to so yeah. that that's a piece that was given to me that I still carry to this day. And uh, don't get me wrong, we still love the new stuff. We still love to play with it, but uh, it's really down to- you know, You're so spot on too, because how, you know, imagine some of those guys who owned like the older Toyotas with the 22 RE, who maybe got caught up in the newest, latest and greatest, sold those trucks. And now they're like, it's a bummer that that's what's cool now, you know, and that those are selling for three times the price. Like, yeah, I think it's something to just holding on to what you love and what works. And, and, um, you know, there's also like, to me, there was so much joy in restoring something, you know, the mm -hmm. restoration uh, that you're, you're, you're kind of, I don't know, you're celebrating history in some way. And, um, and you're also kind of giving a nod to like, you know, the, the, the people who kind of spent that time building these incredible machines. I really get excited about, about where a vehicle can take me, you know, and in, in the world, everywhere I've been, Iceland specifically, like the kind of the super Jeep, the, the sort of, um, lifted, you know, you know, bag, everything you can imagine, you know, done to it. Like it's a critical part of access to these remote places. And I think it gives me an appreciation for, for that culture. And, and, and Iceland has kind of a funny overlanding culture where it's not so much about overlanding as it is like, oh, I can pull my neighbor out of a ditch or I can get up to the top of the glacier or I can drop off these scientists or I can, you know, cross this glacier. And, um, and, and I just, I love it. I love the hardcore. It's like hardcore and elegant yet redneck and awesome. There is nothing better than the off-road community in Iceland. It is so fantastic, you know, and yeah. the Arctic truck guys. And, uh, I've had a love for those guys for, since I was little and, uh, I, I can see you in an AT35 Prado coming right up, man. Dude, you got to have it's one. Happening, bro. It's happening. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and you know, you, 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 you drive around here and you see all the rigs modified with Arctic trucks, fenders, and you're like, that thing's sick. Yeah, yeah. And you just, you know, what's cool is like, you know, it's a funny thing because in other places in the world, and I'm not going to say like the U S but. But in other places in the world, you see somebody with a lifted truck and you're like, well, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything necessarily because you don't know what they're using it for. You know, 
where I'm from in California, I've got the, the, you know, I've got one of the only drivable stretches of sand dunes, Pismo beach. I grew up going out there. So I, I know a shit ton about, you know, <laughs> driving in the sand and, yep. and get, getting wild, but it doesn't necessarily mean that like, you're going to connect with those people. But here, if you see somebody with a vehicle like that, it's an immediate talking point. Like, Oh, where have you taken this thing? And they're like, Oh, I've been here. I've been Langashore. I've been to, you know, I've been to, you know, Langashore. You're like, Oh, awesome. And they just, there's this immediate connection. It's like a talking point. It's kind of like a calling card to to sort of find a sense of uh, connection. And I, and I really love that. And I feel like that is at the core of it, what the Overland community is about. And that's what's so beautiful about it. When you kind of get, when you get away from the tech and the gear and all the things and you you kind of, um, yeah, you kind of just hone in on what it's, yeah. what it's meant to be about. Back, back to the beginning of the conversation, it's it's about the experiences that we share you know, that we create for ourselves. And these are just the tools, either photography to go tell a story or a truck to go see a new place, but it's built to be a experience getter. Go get them, you know, go have that new story for yourself, the new experience. So, uh, right on Chris. Well, thank you so much for your time today in Iceland. Is there anything else that you would like to tell our audience, the listeners out there? I mean, I'd just say that like, hey, if you are an aspiring creative, the best pearl of wisdom I can offer you is that um, the the camera is a great tool. The photograph is incredible, but it's not worth a thousand words. Your voice should never be replaced by an image. You should never allow the photo to say what you could say because coming from you, um, allowing that sense of vulnerability to come through is the most critical thing. Um, and and I think we need to learn more to not describe to people what they can already see in the photo. And what I mean by that is that when you were there, you took the photo, it was visceral. The wind was hitting your back and, you know, your fingers froze and you're, you're, you're numb and, and, you know, you had a buff over your face, whatever. Those are the experiences that we need to share with people. Those are the ones that like make it real, make it authentic. And I just, I hope we don't lose sight of that. And, uh, and I think that everybody has an opportunity, me included, to kind of um, share more of what makes those moments so wild and crazy. So awesome. That's it, man. Oh, yeah. Right on. How can people follow you from my I mean, luckily, if you put my uh, <laughs> put my name out in the uh, out in the the internet. Uh, the Google it, box? Yeah, the Google box will pop up. You know, I'm on social media. Uh, I share a lot there. But my website, you know, and uh, my newsletter and, you know, films and books and all that stuff. And if you're in Iceland, say what's up, come by my gallery, um, you know, come and plan a trip. I'd love to, uh, love to always, you know, I love to always offer advice to some of the places I've been so people can have a rad experience that I'm, that's a big thing that brings me joy. So don't hesitate to ask. You got it. And you have two galleries, one in California and one now in Reykjavik. Uh, yeah, I'm shutting down the one in California to kind of do this Iceland move and maneuver um okay yeah all right well the next time i'm up there i'm going there i am going there so chris thank you so much for your time today and i can't wait to link up with you again hopefully somewhere in the world doing something cool or see you in iceland and uh yeah thank you thank you you bet have a good day cheers thank you so much for joining us And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps. We appreciate your support. And until next time, 
stay adventurous. Yeah.